0: Welcome back, everybody. Man, Chancy, I think we might have had a little bit of a of an absence here in our recording. Uh, being Benzo so the last time we got together, I guess, it was March. How's everything been since then, Bud?
1: Oh, it's been good. Yeah, Brad. Yeah, it's been a while since we got back in touch, but. <laughs> You were busy all summer long baling stubble and then school started, and then fall started, and everybody got busy. And the fall and the spring's always my busiest time of the year, and yours as well. Farming as you do, so things well, have
0: been good. It's been hectic. To mention baling stalks, <laughs> we had quite the drought over here since the last time we talked to you. We haven't gotten, we didn't get a good rain, I guess, pretty much the whole summer in 100 and plus degree temperatures. And there's still dry tanks around out there right now as we speak. It sure is. We've gotten a little better around here in the fall, a little bit of rain, a little bit of cool weather. But boy, hottie, this summer was one for the record books in central Texas, anyway
1: yes yes and like you said uh thank goodness we've started getting some good moisture but uh we still don't have any like runoff water a lot of tanks a lot of people were digging out tanks you know which is you know you don't see that a whole lot in central Texas. you see it in south Texas a lot but i saw a lot of people digging out tanks this year
0: well there was a guy come in the feed store yesterday and believe it or not they're still dig cleaning his tanks out right now he said they've had to pump a little bit of water out but i mean here we are end of november yeah and there's, there's still dry ponds out there is how dry it got out there yeah and i guess the future will tell what all all that did to our trees and what all that did to other wildlife our grasses and trees what comes back next summer i guess is is a mystery to be seen but what do you think this year's deer crop is going to look like how did that drought have an effect on that
1: oh it certainly had effect on it as general rule of thumb you know droughts of course it affects everything so you know uh less grass less fawning cover uh, droughts that the doe's got to travel even further you know to get water to make milk you know that That's so generally, fawn crop is probably down on native range, just out there. Well, you know, managed places that's ratios are good that may have a supplemental feeding program in place. Those places are going to do and fare much better. But you know, low fence native range out there across the board. Fawn crops are going to be a little bit down, and I, in my opinion, I even think antler quality, you know, it's going to be a little bit down than versus a really good wet, wet year and early spring. Not to mention, there's still going to be good bucks out there, and you're still going to see, and it's going to be dang sure, and it has been worth getting out there and getting in the woods, but in my opinion, everything's going to be a little bit down. I mean, even even the food production, the acorns that you see this year, some trees didn't produce real wells. Other ones that did, the acorns are real small, you know, so it's one of those years. We
0: well, you know you mentioned that, but there is a lot of acorns out there.
1: Mm-hmm, yeah. I mean,
0: for as dry as it was and all yeah. that, the, the trees around the school over there, mm-hmm. the Big old acorns are just—I mean, just solid. Were they
1: watering it? Did they have a? Water? Oh well,
0: then you know, yeah. there you go. That sure yeah. did help out there, didn't it?
1: <laughs> well, <you laughs> didn't know.
0: think about that one. There, there was a gentleman come in yesterday to the feed store, and he he was talking about how he can't get his deer to come eat his corn because there's so, so many, many acorns. acorns on his. And place.
1: it happens. It really does. And sometimes trees, in particular species of or not should say species but particular trees within a species may produce more you know or whatever in certain years it's, it's crazy but i know i've got an oak tree that's in my yard that i kind of and i don't water that i kind of use as a you know a barometer i guess out there and um they and, and, and acorn production is down every other year seems like especially for white oaks versus red oaks and that's a whole nother topic but this acorn it produced a lot this year but they're really small Really small versus what they usually are, you know. I'm talking about post oak, but little bitty, you know, like tiny little acorns, but it had a
0: lot of them. And, you know, in our pecan trees, very very few pecans on them too, the ones Mm. that we have at our house anyway. The
1: ones on my native, I I usually, like I said, the squirrel around the place, I use my squirrels because they'll start attacking them like late October and eating. And I can watch, and usually I can tell by the top of the barn because the squirrels are dropping everything, how many cons were on that tree that was very little this year so
0: yeah there was a lady coming yesterday and she was looking for one of those i don't know if you've ever seen them the things that you roll on the ground to pick oh, yeah. up pecans with, you know. Yeah, uh-huh. And I said, man, your trees had that many pecans. She said, no, acorns. She said, I, She said, my yard is just full of acorns. She said, I'm going to pick all those things up with that. I was like, oh, good nice. Lord, boy, that's going to be a lot of work there. But it surprised me because, I mean, it, you would have thought as dry as it was, and I guess that just shows how deep those oak roots go.
1: And not only that, too, I think timing on certain ranges. You know, we were dry overall, but so much of that stuff and crop production as well, as you know, if the timing is right— it can still be dry, but if you get at the right rain at the right time, you know, and you don't have wind conditions or whatever, you know, oaks being pollinated by wind pollinating, you know, that can have effects. So a lot of times you can have local conditions as well, you know.
0: And it was, you know, there were times in the summer where if you were under the rain, yeah. it did come at the right time, different places around here.
1: Yes, it was very spotty, you know. Yeah. Some people, well, <laughs> there you are in Marksville. I mean, you saw how this summer went. You know, and it always seemed to go around you or go there. It did. You drop, you know, your neighbor get an inch or two and you didn't get a bunch of wind and maybe got to smell the rain, but that was
0: it. That was pretty much the way it was. It was that way all summer long. And I mean, Milam County, I think we fared better than a lot of the counties around us. Way better. Because I don't even think we were ever even declared a disaster.
1: No, no. That
0: I know of. Well, Thankfully.
1: No, but you know what? Depending on certain, as a county over whole, but some people in little spot, you know, it might only be a five square mile area. They probably were a disaster. Versus, you know, their neighbor to the south, you know, he might have got the rain. So I think that's why we never got, because the county as a whole got spotty rain in places.
0: Yes, mm-hmm.
1: and, and you could see it when you drive across the landscape. You know, you could see it big time.
0: Well, you know, this might get just a little bit political, but it might have opened people's eyes up. A little bit to water usage, well, I and hope I mean, so. you know, it's the, the way that that neighboring counties are growing population-wise and all, and running out of water, and so that's kind of started to take water out of our county. Yes, to, it's to, a big deal. It is a big deal uh, for our area, and the way you know our our the way our water. Because what aquifer are we on that we're on? Carizo
1: Wilcox, I believe. Right? And if
0: you go slightly to the what west northwest of here, mm-hmm. there is there, those aquifers aren't there.
1: No, like where you live. Yes, there's no aquifer. There's some groundwater out there, but it's shallow, and it's got so much, you know, fertilizer and everything else in that. <laughs> and that
0: Well, it smells like sulfur, that underground water out there just, I mean, boy, you put it right out in an aquifer. Yeah, yeah, you remember that old farmhouse that that we had uh, growing up in there in our 20s and that, that hot water? that would come out of that that well you remember how i guess i guess it heats that water in that that hot water heater and whatever sulfur or whatever Mm -hmm. that is come must come out and it smells like rotten eggs yes when you try to take a shower (laughs) and that stuff that old hot water coming out of there man i don't know what i guess it's sulfur i guess is what's in that water you know
1: that's i think it is and you know that happens on a lot of people that have wells you know even deep wells it can happen you know especially in the summertime it seems like it's more prevalent i don't know the exact science or chemistry behind that but i know exactly what you're talking about and i think anybody has got a well, has experienced it, and probably know what you're talking about as well. Yes. But, you know, back in your country, in the black land, it was all, uh, people got their water from cisterns. You know, it wasn't so much groundwater, they'd catch it off the roof and it run into a that's cistern. That's right. And that's how they got, yep. they'd have to dig them cisterns with bricks and, Man, it's just you know there's there's a lot of, a lot of low
0: on. low spots out in a lot of our fields and stuff where there used to be houses. Yes, and that that were bulldozed and covered up, and now where those were those underground cisterns where you know starting to cave in. Yeah, and uh, there's still one place that has one of those old cistern brick you know cisterns oh, yeah. on it.
1: Yeah, well, the house we grew up in in Elton, they had one, you know. And that's where they got all their water from. It's piped off their house, went in their cistern. That's what they drank out of, bathed with, everything.
0: You know, I mean, area lakes, record lows. And, I mean, I doubt have even recovered at this point. No. I mean, there had not been much runoff.
1: Well, you know, and it's a global thing issue. It sounds like rivers are running low everywhere.
0: You know, Even the Mississippi River. Even the
1: Mississippi, even the... Uh, Heck, what's the one that runs through middle of Iraq and all that stuff? Tigris-Euphrates. I've heard that's really low. Or the no, the Jordan River. I don't know. All over the place, rivers are running low. I've heard. You know, it's not just. It's kind of a an issue that's people are running. water's getting scarce, especially you know river river levels and lake levels. And it it needs to be political because it is a big issue. It's a huge issue, and we should have been addressing it twenty years ago.
0: Yeah, we're getting a little behind the eight ball. Uh, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. Uh, well,
0: I'd say so. Well. We've
1: got more people living in Central Texas now than ever, and we don't have the water for them. That's a problem.
0: That's right. And more <laughs> people coming. Yes. Yes, and we're inviting them with tax abatements and different things. Oh, anyway. <laughs> we, anyways, we'll leave that for another time, maybe for a different podcast. We might start off maybe a yeah. more political one, but <laughs> but uh, something that maybe we should be talking about here, uh, What the things we missed out on we again, met- we're, we're behind the eight ball on a lot of things too. Uh, here on Talking Country with Brad and Chancey, because here we are, it's done the dang middle of deer season again. Yeah. And we should have had a lot of things done already. We should have been talking to y'all
1: since August, y'all. Really, really and truly we should
0: have, but uh, I don't know if I've ever mentioned it or maybe I did or didn't. I I work at a high school here and kind of helped out coaching junior high football this year, which was, was a blast. Had a good time doing that. Bunch of good kids down there. Uh, had a good season. And so that's kind of played out, but our high school team is still in the playoffs, and and I'm fortunate enough to be able to help with that a little bit. So we were going to get together in what month was it? Was it September? I think uh, beginning it was the of very, October? Because
1: we were like, we need to be talking right now. And Bradley, I think we were like, yes, let's get together. Yeah, we on were like, okay. We're going to get yeah, together Sunday. This yeah. is on a, on a Thursday, I think it yes, was. Yes.
0: Well, I lost my voice due to <laughs> hollering at football. <laughs> Uh, yeah i, I mean I, it wasn't the best timing i guess you'd say for that uh got up sunday morning and still didn't have no voice from from hollering and screaming and doing all the things that that we do and and so then that set us back another week and then chancey was busy i think in mississippi yeah, or somewhere
1: uh, august september october and even in you know november I've, every other week back and forth flying to mississippi and, or either traveling or whatever
0: so yeah, And I don't know if we mentioned that, but Chancey does a lot with, like, mine reclamations and things like that and the wildlife side of that.
1: Yes, yeah. So that's a lot of what I was doing. And also mitigation companies, you know, mitigation, mining, uh, still doing some oil and gas. It's going, you know. Oil and gas is picking up in places, you know. So, yeah. So it's been a busy fall. Good oh, fall. Man. I needed it. Yeah. yeah. It yeah and you, good.
0: You mix all that with throwing wildlife. corn chucks, rolls around, and, and all the other things that we yes. got going on, chasing kids around. You know, it's just uh, not enough hours in the day. But luckily, we were able to get together today.
1: Yes, yes. So, looking forward to, to y'all. And I guess we're going to talk about what everybody's on the mind, deer hunting and deer season. You know, we've, we've missed the ball, you know. Uh, like I said, had we gotten here that September 1st, you know, we'd have been talking about stand placement and feeder placement and conditioning your stands. You know, I know you've already got all that stuff done. We uh, So, you know, by now, hopefully you got all your shooting lanes <laughs> <laughs> shredded or got them all cleared. uh. You know, so most people, are, or it is, everybody's out there hunting, so um, I guess we can touch a little bit on stand placement and feeder placement, maybe ways to feed where you can possibly attract some, see some more deer, but, um, you know.
0: Well, you know, and while we're on the subject, I guess, if, uh, if I don't know if you live in a small town or don't live in a small town, but... Me and Chancey, you're from here, you know, and we go eat breakfast before we do this every morning. And so we've already told this story probably five times a day, just talking with people who come in, you know, and and uh, uh, a 30-minute breakfast ended up turning into probably about an hour breakfast this morning, you know, talking about hunting and different things with all our friends that we have around. And so uh, so uh, we already talked about this one time, Dave, but we're going to go through it again with you here today. Uh, and like Chancey said, there's a lot of stuff we should have done. And hopefully, like you said, you got all your shredding done and food plots, you know, were one thing that people, you know, should have probably already put in by now. But due to the drought situation and circumstances that we had, really and truly right now, it's not too late to do that. No,
1: you could still, you know, no-till in some oats or even some wheat or ryegrass or broadcast out there. I mean, yeah, it'll come up and, you know.
0: To be honest, you didn't have to do much shredding this year. (laughs) <laughs> well, there yeah. was not a lot of stuff to to, to knock down to get rid of because, it just
1: depends on your grazing pressure or what you had well you know? then there was that too mm-hmm. have, but, yeah
0: but or if you weren't in one of the wildfires
1: yes yeah, true. good
0: lord have mercy prescribed burning what was literally impossible oh yeah well to we, do over burn this summer. Ban
1: for, we just got off the burn ban i think
0: man i mean it, and to be honest with you there was a lot of wildfires in our area yeah you know over the whole summer and so there there wasn't a whole lot of 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 competition I guess you'd say if you wanted to go spread some rye grass out if you wanted to sling some oats out and drag it in or that type of thing it was pretty easy to get up this year because we've had nothing but rain since the time to plant that.
1: Mm -hmm. So like I said it's not too late if you wanted to go out there, you know, and broadcast or put something in. Like I said, everybody's hunting right now, so attracting deer, you know. Uh, you know, So what are some ways that maybe – because everybody I talk to, you know, it seems like that are deer hunters, they kind of want to see more deer, particularly more bucks, and just see a more deer, period. So there's ways to feed and stand placement, places to put your feeder, or put your stands where you will see more deer.
0: And know? it kind of all changes, like, where you are with your rut and all that type yes, of stuff, right? Yes. And, I mean, it appears that the rut has started a little – Early around here this year.
1: In my opinion, I think it has. You know, I mean, when I was younger around here, at least in Central Texas, in Milam County, it seemed like around Thanksgiving was always, you know. That was money, you know, and our ratios wasn't all perfect then, and we weren't managed, you know, 25 years ago, we didn't know near as much about deer management as we do now. So, but it seemed like Thanksgiving was always pretty good. That's when you get off from school, and maybe that's just because we're out there. But this year, to me, it seems like it started a little earlier, two weeks. You know, as a matter of fact, November 1st, you know, the last two weeks has been owned. Um, around in my neck of the woods and what I'm seeing and me traveling, traveling back and forth on highway 79 to Marshall all the time, just seeing deer with those standing out in pastures, the amount of dead bucks on the side of the road and antlers cut off, heads cut off. So the deer are out moving about if you've been well, in the woods and the last two weeks have been really good, in my opinion, uh, we went for from hunting.
0: Be, we went from being unseasonably warm to being unseasonably cold cool a little earlier than usual too and that
1: matters too so you know a lot of people say well it's the cold weather that makes the rut come on no it's not it's all about photo period it really is but what happens is the cold weather just makes deer more active and if you can get the rut starting and have a cold snap there you're gonna have some good hunts and you know this 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 november has had some good days like that we've had some cold rainy days in the middle of what I'm saying, the rut is going on right now, and uh, it's been some good hunting. It really has. Excellent
0: hunting. Well, you know, this might be a little bit off topic because I'm no meteorologist, but I've always laughed at like them saying, oh, man, we're five degrees above the average temperature for this time of the year. Mm-hmm. Well, how do you get an average chance? You take all the above average and the below averages, and you average them out. And that <laughs> comes up with the average. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, you're going to have above average days and below average days because it takes those days to get the average. True. You know what, uh, I mean, I don't know in my simple mind anyway. That's yeah. the, the way the math works out in my head. But, but uh, uh, you know, it has been cooler than normal, I guess you'd say.
1: Yeah, well, we had our first, uh, not a frost, we had a hard freeze the other night, you know. I mean, what was the last Friday night, I was, which is kind of, I know I think, we're supposed to get a freeze, you know, every round the second or third week of November. Yeah. You know, our frost. Um, which, you know, that's not too far off, but we got a, a hard freeze. You we know? did. It, so it it was a kill kill Bermuda grass, you know, freeze. It killed a lot of stuff. If you notice all your warm season grasses have been smoked by that freeze, so
0: so hopefully you got all your Johnson grass bailed up and all that type of stuff before that came because, man, that stuff is dead as a hammer already. Uh, yeah. This morning I noticed coming into town, it, all the Johnson grass in the ditches and around the telephone poles and stuff is just smoked.
1: Yeah, yeah. You
0: know, so, I, uh, so it is that time of the year.
1: Yeah, so the cold weather definitely helps in there, especially if you can time it on a rut, you know, or if the cold weather comes during a rut, which I think is kind of going on right now. Um, you know, Bradley and Mitchell, well, maybe we should mention r- rattling antlers. And absolutely, you know, uh, in my opinion, uh, rattling antlers, it works, no doubt about it, but it works better pre-rut. The rut that it would have been this year, the way that it kind of worked out, You know, and it wasn't even gun season yet except for that youth season, the first youth season. But like the third or fourth week of October would, in my opinion, this year would have been the time to get out there and really, really start testing. And one day it might not work, but, you know, take you several days there and just go out there and test it. Because I tell you, when it's hot, it's hot. And and in my opinion, you could bang two sticks together and they'll come running in. You know, when when it's hot, it's hot. Because it's really hard when they're running and going because you're not going to rattle one off of a doe once you stand there. But, you know, if they're really, really going and going, yes, they'll respond to it. But to me, it works better when right before the does start coming in to estrus. And all those bucks are just sitting here. I mean, they're ready to go. They're ready to go. And, you know, they're just waiting. If you have a buck that you're after, you know that one lives in a particular area, you can sneak into that area, always hunt the wind, sneak into that area. And don't even have to get in there too far. Just take a a shed antler and just sneak in there a little bit. This would have been, you know probably three weeks ago or something, right, maybe end of October, bust brush, just make a racket, or even just take a shed antler and act like you're making a rub on a tree. Just take that antler and rake it really hard, and that's all you do, and you'd be surprised the response you get.
0: Well, you know, you mentioned even, like, when you've been walking through the brush before, like, not, yeah, not necessarily every, hunting, but, you know, yeah, doing, like, every, like like litigation work or something. Well, every
1: year I do a bunch of orchid surveys for Navasota Ladies' Tresses, and their bloom periods at October and November. So, nine times out of ten, I, well, no, all the time, I'm usually out there doing surveys, to, I mean, the end of October. And I can't tell you how many times I've been on some of these mine properties or something. You know, there's a thick brush or a bunch of eastern red cedar, and usually it's a little cooler, so I might have a Carhartt jacket on. And sometimes you just got to bust through that brush, you know, or maybe something's in the way, and you're you're just making some racket in the woods is all you're doing. Yeah. And I hear something and turn around, and I'll... You know, 150 inch deer or 140 inch deer come run right up on you, looking at you.
0: You know, and just from just from rustling through the brush. Yeah,
1: because they're just they're, they're they're ready, man. They're ready. And what they're doing is they they're hearing all that brush busting. They thinking something's fighting, and they thinking there's something missing out on. You know, and I'm not saying it happens all the time, but if you've been in the woods enough, right at that time period, you know what I'm talking about. You really do because you could be building something or cutting down something, maybe not chain something, but I mean just making racket in the woods like, you know, a deer would be hustling around or fighting. You can attract them like that. And like I said, um, when it's on, it's on, and it works phenomenally. and It's something you can do all day long, you know, but the t- windows there's narrow.
0: And just know. to clarify, that's more of a pre-rut thing.
1: I think, in opinion, I think it works better. Like once they start really running and going – it's hard to get them, you know, they're going, they're on the move. This is like right before when, they, when they're just waiting, waiting for maybe that first one to come in, you know, when it just it hadn't gotten hot yet. Um, they're, they're out of their bachelor groups for sure, but they're just waiting for that rut to start. That's when I think it works the best. You know, like when we were in South Texas, it seemed like around Christmas was always the rut was going good around Christmas. That first week before Christmas and week after Christmas. But, man, we would get out there, try to the very first weekend after thanksgiving you know and go bang antlers and just try it check and see sometimes you know but you know maybe that second week of december that first you know the seventh eighth and ninth you know it just would be really good you know and when you'd have a day and and it can change like one day it's just great you know and you rattle in 10 bucks or something on a big place in south texas and the next day you might only get one you know Mm -hmm. that's how how it can change but give it a try it works and don't get discouraged with it at first you know but just keep trying and just kind of keep that in mind timing it wise um
0: well you know one thing that it is time for around here and unfortunately it's super expensive this year is feeding corn
1: oh yeah yeah
0: it, you know I, I don't know if there's like a better place that people maybe should have put your feeder at you know i mean
1: well i'll tell you right now for a hunting deer in this time of year probably the very best attractant out there is corn you know especially if you got corn in a spot that's Near a food plot or an oat field, uh, so this kind of goes back to you know stand placement, feeder placement. Let's just start with corn feeders, okay? It depends, bow hunter versus rifle hunter. I'm talking specifically about rifle hunters here. Rifle hunters, you need to be able to see. You want to be able to see. The more land you can see, the more areas you can see, the better. You know, increased chances. A lot of times they'll, I see a rifle, they'll put their stand, but they'll put the the deer feeder. They'll clear a little area and they'll put the feeder. Right in the brush, or right next to the brush, real close to the brush, or you know, they're clear out a 30 or 40 foot little area in the brush and put the feeder in there, and so it's kind of surrounded by brush.
0: You're kind of limiting yourself. On You're how limiting far yourself. You can see.
1: You're limiting yourself for that, and then not only that, the deer don't like it as much. And the reason they don't, deer are edge species. So when they have, are forced to put their head down and they're close to brush, not saying that they won't use it, you'll still pull deer and you'll still see deer, but you won't see as much because number one, they feel a little bit unsafe. If you were to back that feeder about 30 yards away from the brush line, or even 40, get it off the brush line, but have it within say 40, 50 yards, I promise you, you'll see more use. That's just one thing about putting a feeder there, to having to, I think keep that in mind, but also something that, you know, I don't know for anybody that's out here that doesn't believe in attracting deer with bait. You may not like this, but I'm telling you it works. If you're not against feeding corn, then, and you've got the areas to do it, and your place is set up like it. And you've got maybe your stand is sitting on a road where you can drive in, or so you can look both downs the road, or you're hunting a power line right away where you can see down a right away. And you've or got if you
0: have an edge of brush, edge
1: or- of brush, or say you got a food lot plot that borders the edge of brush, take you a tailgate feeder, put on your ATV or your road, and start attracting those deer pre season every week. Go in there if you have the opportunity, feed it every day, feed it every other day. Feed those stretches. I mean,
0: if you're going to drive to your stand, you might as well do it on your You know, I mean, it's one of those things you're already going.
1: Yeah, yeah. You can feed in or feed out. It works best if you got a buddy, you know, to drop you off. And then, you know, if you don't have a buddy, you want to sneak into your stand. Hunt the wind always. I talked more about stand placement. You know, I don't care. Always hunt the wind. No matter what anybody says. If you got, sometimes you're forced that you can't hunt the wind. Well, do everything in that because it matters. The wind is a big deal.
0: Care to elaborate on the wind? About what you mean about the wind? Yes.
1: Okay. Well, the wind. If you're hunting a field, you know, whatever. Think of stand placement where you put your feeder. You know, in this part of Texas, unfortunately, we have a lot of south and southeast winds in the winter time. No, I shouldn't say unfortunate. It's just where we are. You know, it's where we live. And in my opinion, a south wind. Deer don't move as good on a south wind, you know.
0: Typically it's warmer. It's
1: typically warmer, but, you know, so you want to, think, when you're thinking about stand place, think about your dominant wind. So you probably want a stand that you can hunt a south wind, and you're not affecting where you're feeding corn or your feeder, but you'd also maybe like a spot or put another stand or something else, another location where you got a north wind, because you're going to have those north winds, and that's when you want to get out there, especially when you get those cold north, drizzly, rainy days.
0: Like right now. But
1: right now. I'm telling you, man, a cold not, not bitter cold and not like pouring down rain but a drizzly cool north wind day that may be one the morning where you want to sit in your stand a little bit longer that morning or you may want to just get out there maybe a little bit earlier in the afternoon or better yet pack you a lunch and just stay all day long because on those really cool drizzly days it just seems number one the last two weeks we had several of those days and so the rut was going. so if you were hunting on any of those days you know what i mean it was a good day and uh the cold just makes them move, move more anyway. Uh, just, just you know, the cold weather just makes deer more active.
0: Well, you know, and back to, uh, back to when you're talking about that tailgate feeder. Yeah. I mean, you hate to say it, but I mean, it is almost like feeding cattle. I mean, they get used to you coming. Well, like it is. They, you can train them. I mean, they hear your, yeah. they hear the spinner going off, or they hear your four wheeler or, or gator or whatever you have it on. Like there, I mean, that that opens their ears up, lifts their head up out of the grass.
1: It's no different than hunting a stationary feeder. Those deer hear that feeder go off and they come. You're doing the exact same thing, except you're feeding over a much bigger area. And that helps two ways. Number one, it helps with having more space, so you're going to see more deer because you're feeding a more bigger area. And then if you don't have dominant deer, keep subordinate deer away from feeding stations. If you've ever hunted well, enough, you can just watch. If you have a dominant buck out there and you don't want to shoot him, or maybe you just want to watch, he's going to keep other stuff from coming because they've already got their pecking order. Same thing with does. Does have dominer's pecking orders, And so a lot of times if you're just hunting a feeder, You know, but you also have a road or ATV tailgate fitter that you've fed the roads. You know, keep it within shooting distance. You know, if if you're not comfortable shooting over 200 yards, don't feed out further than 200 yards. You know, if you got a gun you like and you want to stretch the wheels on it, you know, you can feed (laughs) a little bit further, but uh, you know, keep it within distance. But so basically dominance but lo- then also you're seeing more deer you're seeing more deer you're attracting more deer they feel more comfortable you know and like i said if you can do it along a wood line that edge piece, it helps you'll see more you know so you know if you have a place like that try it and like bradley said if you get them trained enough you do it enough
0: you'll train them well and you know and i guess another advantage that you would have to that too would be like Corn is pretty high this year. Yes. And, I mean, by the time you clean it and you do all the things, and like me and Chancy were discussing, we were discussing at aftoxin a little bit, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, typically your deer corn has to be under certain parts per million, and if you get it from a feed mill, they don't like to let corn in above 20 parts per per, per million. I think it is, uh, because they don't, that stuff will kill chickens and kill your smaller yeah, livestock. Yeah, I think it's for a deer It's like, hard on birds.
1: Yeah, it's birds, I think it's more like a quail, turkey, you know, or... So, like, uh, it can at super, super high numbers. I know it can affect mammals. Yeah, but I think it's some like to buy deer corn here. I think there's a law that it has to be under. Number one, deer corn is always a little cleaner, seems like. Well, they, put it they in clean the
0: sticks and the cobs out. And that's what I was going to, yeah. the point I was going to get to was you could save a little bit of money on corn if you find a farmer in your area in the summertime when it's harvest time. Sure. And you go just buy it straight out of the combine. Well, if you're road feeding it like that or, yeah. or feeding it with that tailgate feeder. It's not like putting it in your deer feeder and leaving for two weeks and then hoping that a cob don't stop yeah, it up. You know, with it, Your little little spinner feeder, you put one bag in there. If it stops yeah, up, clean it you, out You can buy again. a
1: 50-pound ATV feeder. Or I call them ATV. It's a tailgate feeder. It goes in your receiver. If you hadn't seen them, they make them in 50 pounds for a whole bag of corn. They make them in 100 pounds, probably even 150. But they're worth the money, and they work. But Just make sure if you buy one, get the one that – all of them have a little remote control, kind of like a sprayer or something. Get the one that has the uh, the spinner and the motor. So when you're not feeding, it sucks up, so corn can't drop off, drop out. Mm-hmm. You know. So basically, they make a little mechanism. It's got a little motor on it, though. So when you hit the button to spin, it spins. But when you let off, it closes. And so you're not banging and driving down the road or the trail or whatever, dropping corn out where you don't want corn. So by one that has that. And uh, Bradley's one hundred percent right. You're feeding them, you know, you're checking it daily. And so Yeah, you know, there's no there's no, no, no room worries. for air, no
0: bat no yeah, dead nothing, battery, no anything.
1: There's nothing worse than going out there and you think everything's right and you've checked your batteries and you going and you go out there and you sit and the feeder don't go off. Then so you're like, Well, I'm gonna sit there and wait anyway. Not myself. So you go over there and a doggone corn stalb or something got in there. And stopped it up from spinning, you know. And for, you
0: know, Chancy, if I am ever lucky enough to retire, and I had the time, you know, n- no more messing with work or any of that stuff, I'd find that real enjoyable to go out there every day and and put the tailgate, you know, feeder on and go out there and drive the gator down the road and see what comes.
1: Yeah. Well, number one, you're never going to retire. Don't kid yourself.
0: <laughs> but yes. not with three kids, yeah, Chancy. But
1: regardless, though, you're right, and it's enjoyable even in the s- summer and spring. You know, I know I have landowners that will do that all the time, particularly around the house. You know, if they like seeing deer and Absolutely. Game. You know, and we, we have feeders that have
0: just a cattle feeder out, you know, in their yeah. backyard. And they'll go out there and pour a bag of corn into their mm-hmm. their feeders. And, and they get used to it. They come, like you said, I mean, just start yeah. coming. I know in some states that's illegal. Oh, now. it's
1: illegal big time. And a lot of people frown on it, which we've discussed. Ever, but in Texas, it's pretty accepted to feed corn. And I'll just tell you, uh, corn is a heck of a good attractant. You know, yeah. not only thing another with that thing, like say you're hunt- feeding a road feeder or, you know, a ATV feeder. You feed those areas, too. If deer are really moving and on the move and they're cutting across in Sendero or they're cutting across the road or you're hunting a right away or a pipeline right away, or something, sometimes if he crosses, you know, and there's some corn right there, it's enough to stop him, especially if it's one you're after or one you like, you know. If he's just moving, sometimes if there's corn there on the ground, it's enough to slow him up, too, um, if he doesn't just stop and take a bite. So that's something else to think about. You'll see more deer but it's only useful if your stand placement and feeder placement. You know, if you have the, if it allows it, for if it. it. If, it allows if it's a tight area,
0: you're wasting your yeah. time. But if you got a big open area or or yeah. the edge of the woods, like you said, is a big yes. good you know big time use for that.
1: Yes, like say you know if you have a big block of woods that you're hunting next to. Well, maybe feed that stretch of woods right there and have your feeder. You know, and maybe if you got. Woods on both sides of the road that you're driving in on, you know, the the field road, you know, maybe feed that road up into it that way. You're hunting three different spots or four and, different spots.
0: And and I sell corn, Chancy. So, I mean, put that stuff everywhere. Yeah. And yeah, dump piles of it on the ground. <laughs> yeah. 10, 20, 30 bags, <laughs> you know, and that's no problem at all. You know, I mean, but like I said, you can save a lot of money on that if you could go during the, yeah, go buy during right the harvest the season farmer. and it's $6 of, for 56 pounds during the harvest season. Yeah. And now here we are wintertime, you know, and it's $11 a bag. Well, mm-hmm. I mean, you can save a bunch of money. And those little those little feeders like that on those gators and stuff, man, I mean you could like I said, there's there there's no they're they're error proof, you know, I mean you can you catch them whenever it stops up or something. So, yes. a little bit of corn cob or a little corn stalk here and there ain't going to, you know, matter, amount much. No, no. And so you could put your high dollar corn in your deer feeders and you know, yes. and and maybe set them to go off half as much or something and yeah. supplement with those little, little rope feeders.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's a good thing. Like I said, if you're particular, if your place allows it, you know, as far as setting and timing, you know, how much to feed corn wise, it depends on how many deer you're coming and utilizing, you know. How much to feed is all dependent, you know, because mm-hmm. you don't want corn sitting there, you know, sitting on the ground for a long time. Well, especially it's when it's raining, raining
0: like it. this time of the year, it rains, you know, every, seems like once or twice every other week. Sure. And so, I mean, Water and corn don't really mix too well.
1: No, no. Then you got pig issues, you know. So oh, and then yeah, too much you get hauled. Yeah. yeah. So you want the deer to clean it up and be gone. So you know, set your. That's another thing too. Sometimes I think people set their feeder too late. You know, in the day, like it goes off maybe thirty minutes before dark or something. That's in my opinion a little too late because uh, in my in my thought process, you want you know at least an hour and a half. So the deer have time to come and do their things because deer are crepuscular. I'm not saying they won't move at nocturnal. Hogs get so much pressure around here, most of the time you, if hog comes to the feeder, it's right at dark, you know, especially if you shoot at them and hunt them. So having it, the feeders go off or feeding a bit earlier, you know, say if it gets dark at 5.30, you know, be feeding, you know, f- uh, 4 o'clock, 3.45, well, something like that. And while
0: we're on the subject, I mean, do you see any advantage to morning over evening or evening over morning hunting or is it, does it just kind of if you, when you have time, it's fine.
1: Yeah. My opinion. No, I can't. I I mean, I've killed and seen beautiful deer in the morning. I've killed and seen beautiful deer in the evening. It's about being out there, you know, and and hitting it right and hunting those days and, and going consistently. Yeah. It might be the first or second or third day for you, but the deer, if you're hunting a particular one, he don't know it's the first day or second day or third day. I mean, so just getting out there in the woods, get in the woods as much as you can and like I said, well, so if the many weather's people. right and the wind's right, you know, a morning hunt, in my opinion, is just as good as an evening hunt. The most important thing, in my opinion, is hunting the wind. A lot of people make mistakes not hunting the wind, especially if you've got deer that are have had pressure. You know, if they've gotten a lot of pressure, are you hunting an area where there's, you know, basically a lot more pressure? It's not so much that I think deer become nocturnal. They may become nocturnal some. I mean, I know that they will move and so, but... In my opinion, and that's all it's worth, so don't take much. In my opinion, it's not so much deer become nocturnal. They learn how to avoid hunters. Yes. And I've seen that firsthand, you know, because a lot of times some people, uh, especially like if you're under MLDP, it can really happen then, you know, or if there's just a lot of hunting pressure and there's a lot of movement in the stand and the deer kind of start associating the stand with movement, you know, sometimes those bucks will come and the first thing they look at is the deer stand to see if there's anything moving. And sometimes they'll look... You know, from the field and you don't even know. So and and, you know, if a, buck, a deer is sitting there looking, they saw that movement. And then a lot of times preseason, this mainly on MLD places where they can start hunting in October, usually sometimes those deer are still in bachelor groups. And, you know, maybe you're calling deer or you're shooting spikes or whatever your issues are. You're shooting bucks, you know, in October, and, or you need to get rid of some deer. But sometimes you shoot a deer, or those bucks are still in bachelor groups in, and maybe one of them you won't. You shoot. Well, they don't all come out once. They might have been together, but usually one comes out. And then, you know, a few minutes later, a few seconds later, they're coming on a trail. Well, if you shoot the one that comes up, his buddy that was behind him, just associated with that, I think they learn. You know, and they even kind of will learn to associate bad things with certain places. So that's where I mean they kind of learn to avoid deers. Uh, uh, and I've seen it firsthand because we had a deer that was coming like crazy. But the same thing, that stand had gotten a lot of use. We'd killed a lot of deer out of it. And the buck that we were hunting, he wasn't coming no more. He may uh, just was not seeing him when we were hunting. And we were hunting hunting him so but the way that we ended up killing him was we just moved over and we started corn feeding a sendero about 100 yards away and built a brush blind
0: you know he'd already learned not to come by that stand yeah
1: i think so they learned so it's not so much they become nocturnal it's because they learn how to avoid hunters right know? so you just got to outsmart them you out hunt them and so we road feed that sendero a little bit had that brush blind went over there sat he popped right out like nothing was there, and we busted them. So.
0: You know, you mentioned that, too. I mean, even like a lot of people this time of the year won't even allow, like, hog hunting mm-hmm. in their, on their places or stuff simply because they worry about, like, scaring deer off.
1: And I think it's, it holds some validity to it. I really do. You're hunting a game animal that, you know, designed to be hunted, basically. I mean, they're a prey species, so they associate stuff, loud noises. Uh, you know, they, they react and can become habituated. And you know, shooting all the time and running dogs all the time, you know, and that's why a lot of people don't. You know, I'm not saying it's gonna run every deer off your place, but it'll definitely change up habits.
0: Well, you, you know, know, as odd as it is, we didn't see a wild hog all summer long out in, in the blacklands where I'm at out there, but now as soon as deer season starts, those th- suckers have come out just like, I mean. Full steam ahead. I mean, I i don't know. It's almost like they've learned the habit, you know. Like, okay, well, it's safe, guys.
1: Well, a lot of them, too, are living in the corn, you know, during the summertime or in the and I mean, we didn't
0: they, have one corn stalk really, knocked over yeah, this exactly. year from yeah. hog. I mean, and usually sometimes they'll come clean out, you know, two or three acres of seed right after you plant it.
1: Yeah. Well, and, that's another thing, too. Same thing going on with my neck of the woods, you know, and those hogs travel, they move, man. Like they're living in this place during the spring and then they move and they travel long, long distances uh and they move along like in my negative woods they move out of those cornfields or in uh, out of those bottoms and they come up into the hills you know the the oak hills the post oak woodlands i call you know start eating a lot of the acorns and same thing happens in the blackland, just on different scales so the hogs that are there now that you're seeing a lot of it's very no telling where they came from you know up creek or down creek or across you know so they travel and move so
0: yes and then there, I guess it, everything freezes, too, and it gets cooler. They're moving around more, mm-hmm. you know, looking for different food. I mean, looking for acorns and different oh, yeah. things like that. Oh,
1: so. and also we're talking about attracting deer. Well, guess what? The more corn you feed, the more hogs you And there's not a doubt in my mind that our deer hunting strategies, our feeding, our supplemental feeding, our corn feeder has made our hog problem worse. Not a doubt in my mind. You know, oh, and there is no doubt. No huh? doubt about it. So, you know, if you know. Generally, but, you know, depends on your goals. I mean, some people like to shoot hogs, and, you know, if that's the thing, then you can build feeders and put feeders and make them hog-friendly, I guess. But generally, uh, deer don't like to feed around hogs too much. That's why another th- thing, you know, if hogs are a problem, if, you know, you, you may have that chance. You know, as well as I do, if hogs are camped out at your feeder and you're waiting on deer, generally the deer won't come. But if you're feeding, using road feeders, and you're using a, you know, got a clearing Good for your a big enough clearing for your feeder. Generally, if there's a hog there, then the doe bucks or somewhere or a doe will go eat on the road or eat on the Cindero that you fed somewhere else. So that just helps seeing more deer, seeing opportunity.
0: Right, and you know, like you said, that deer hunting is a billion dollar industry, and there's a million different attractants and things that you could buy. Yeah, you know that 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 claim to attract deer. I mean, as far as like, I mean, protein really and truly now I guess would be about the least. Uh, opportune time to be doing that right
1: well yeah i don't think they need protein too much now like um it depends it depends as we talked about but pro like feeding protein right now that would have sure been good this summer oh yes you needed. to be Boy, feed- this, this summer would have
0: been the best possible time. That you supplemental could have feed
1: from january to august That's yeah. the january as dry as august,
0: it was you know i mean very little stuff helped. out there for them me to eat. this is like if there was ever a year to supplemental feed it oh, was yeah. probably this year yeah
1: no doubt about it no doubt about it almost statewide but right now, you're trying to hunt deer, you know, you're trying to attract deer. Well, if you got, you know, free choice supplemental feed out there, excuse me, whether it be cotton, well, you shouldn't be feeding cottonseed now anyway. But say you got supplemental feed out there, free choice supplemental feed, and that deer's, if they have learned to avoid hunters, well, why would he go, you know, eat out of this whirly corn feeder that spits 8% protein out on the ground when I got, I can eat steak all night long. You know, or in the mornings over here. Because most time people, I don't, most people don't hunt around their protein feeders because they don't want, they want the deer to come free choice. So if you're feeding protein right now and also trying to kill deer. You don't want to scare them them off of your
0: protein feeder.
1: No, you don't want them to, you know. So I don't generally, number one, the deer don't need it as much unless you're under special circumstances. So it's deer season. A lot of the deer have gotten fat already, you know, and the bucks are made for it. So uh, they're attracted uh, to corn right now. They're really, you know, they're running, they're rutting, and they need energy. You know, stay warm, energy, and corn gives them that. But if the protein's out there, they'll probably go to protein first. So that's my opinion, two cents on that.
0: Well, they may, I mean, you could get anything from a protein pellet to those berry-scented deer blocks to, I mean, even like lots of people this year, just I don't know if maybe it's – been spread around on some social media or something that has gotten so popular, but we've had several people come in asking about even things like dough urine.
1: Yeah, well, I'm sure it works. In my honest opinion, uh, well, not my opinion, but I never really used it. I know that there's a million different gadgets out there and a million different techniques, and I know that probably some of them work. You know, I've seen no people that's putting taking decoys, you know, or 3D targets and put dough urine or doe estrus on it, and I'm sure that it works. I mean, I know for a fact at the right time of year, the right thing, you don't have to have nothing. You can just have a 3D target out there, and bucks will come during the rut and destroy your 3D target, you know, just beat it up to pieces. So um, there's tons of attractants out there, and I'm sure that they all work in some form or fashion, from deer cocaine to mineral licks to everything. But um,
0: I guess and- it's important to remember that, I mean, you could just use what you – have as far as like the like you said the cover and things like that and and, i mean that's about as big of an attraction as there is water
1: using your cover yeah
0: water this year usually is not a big deal but even
1: in our neck of the woods water is generally not a big deal you know um but yeah in south texas or in west texas or in places and it's dry you don't have windmills out there yeah water is a huge deal because deer have to have free surface water they have to they have got to have free surface water so, yeah, if that's an issue. Around here, Central Tech, for the most part, water's not too big of an issue. But in my opinion, it's hard to beat corn. It's cheap. Hunt the wind, use corn, spread it out there, position your feeders right, and um, it, try to sneak into places. Be sneaky. Think of your setup if you're going to sit in the trees, or even if you're going by yourself and you're going to go sit in the stand, have you a parking spot. Have a place that you park um, that's away from the feeder. Are away from the stand and a little trail cut and limbs so that you can walk into your stand downwind and you don't spook anything that's out there from wherever you're trying to feed. So, you know, try to be sneaky. That's, that's one of the most things, hunt the wind, be sneaky, use their attractants. And, uh, like I said, all the different gadgets out there, I'm sure that they do work to some extent, you know, but, um, I've never really used much on as far as scents and stuff. I will say this one story though. I had a buddy out in Brady and when we was in college, we went and I think they had something called, it was called like deer cocaine or something, but it was, it looked like powder and we went and um, we put that stuff on the ground. You know, I said like, just dig a little hole. We put some stuff on the ground. We put in there and nothing ever happened. Nothing, you know, all year long, nothing happened. And the next year, you know, it just sat there, but like he still owns that place right now. And, Like three or four years after that, though, they dug the daylights out of that
0: like from the stuff that y'all had put out that many yeah, years well, earlier yes no way yes
1: yes i don't know if that mineral just kind of sit there and soaked whatever it was or if it was a clay soil sand soil but yeah they didn't mess with it at all when it's just sitting there but like when it was gone like you couldn't even tell anything was there so that was one of those things i always put in the back of my mind i don't know why it happened i still don't have an explanation to this day or it why just must
0: might have been a year where they needed whatever mineral that was there
1: yeah and i don't even remember what it it was. It was something like that, though, man. Like I said, it was 20 years ago, and I think it was called, like, deer crack or deer cocaine, but it was a powder. It looked like sugar, basically, and we just poured it on the ground, you know, over by one of his feeders, and like I said, nothing ever messed with it, you know, the first year or two, but it wasn't until, like, three years after that— it kind of dug and pawed, like they actually pawed and dug a hole down in the ground where that was. So,
0: you know, I've even seen people use like salt blocks, like yeah, cattle salt blocks, you know, they claim. Will well,
1: I mean, yeah, deer. minerals are we know, doubt about it. Minerals, animals need minerals, you know. Like, you look like they travel, they'll migrate for mineral sources, you know. So, I know that it works and it does, but as far as like an attractant that's dependable, you know, that's definitely going to pull them in. I'm sure, absolutely, you put it out there with everything else, and it can't hurt, you know. But like I said, the ones that I've always used seem to work the best is corn. It, corn's Just plain and it. simple. Corn's pretty good, and the more you can get it out there and spread, especially if you've got food plots, you know, You know, hunting in conjunction with it.
0: Uh, and like we mentioned, it's still not too late to put a little ryegrass seed out or something no. like that if you wanted to. Mm-mm. Oats, you know, easy to plant, easy to get up.
1: Oh, yeah. And the deer like it too. Yeah, they'll they'll utilize it.
0: Yeah, yeah, and so I guess while we're on the top, I mean, got that topic pretty much covered for today. Maybe we can talk a little bit about like which deer should you actually shoot? Hopefully, hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, we're too late on that for you. Yeah, and you know you've already got something for this year, uh, but I mean it is. It, Still, middle of deer season and all.
1: Yeah, well, which deer to shoot? Okay, so well, that has one hundred percent to do with what are your goals, and not only that, what are your goals? And number two, you got to ask yourself, are they realistic? You got to have realistic goals as well.
0: So for the area that you're in, yeah.
1: So you know what deer to shoot? Well, it just depends. It just is that simple. It depends on so many different things, and we could probably spend a whole topic on just talking about. Which deer to shoot, but
0: and if we ever get enough time to get together more often, maybe we could do that yeah. Chasing,
1: well, I, yeah, well, maybe we'll maybe we'll talk about the next one or something, but just to kind of briefly say it, so yes, think about think about your goals, also think about you hear so much, you know okay, say people won't trophy match, they won 't see more bucks, but you know what they they've been told they've either read it somewhere they've been told somewhere they've watched it on TV or something that you've got to got to um. You've got a cold deer. You've got a management deer. You know, well, okay, well, what is a coal? What is a management deer? All that stuff is relative to what you define as a trophy. And everybody's level of definition for a trophy is different. Some people, a super wide deer is a trophy. Some people, frame is everything. Some people, the Boone and Crockett score is what's considered a trophy. Some people, it's just a mature deer. They want to kill a mature deer that's a trophy. Some people, it's just a big fat dough, you know? So, all that is going to filter into um, what, what your goals and what you're defining as a trophy. But I guess in the pigeonhole of, uh, say, trophy slash quality management, we'll just look at it as like, okay, most people want to see more bucks, want to see bigger bucks. So, Um, if you're on a low fence place, number one, watch your deer density, watch your sex ratios. That's where you need to start with first before you even think about a cold. Well, and you know,
0: Tansy, um, speaking of that, if you're on a low fence place or even like an area like where we're in, where the places aren't thousands of acres, probably need to get on the same goals as your neighbors.
1: Absolutely. Work with your neighbors. Get together
0: with your neighbors to set your goals because you don't want, you don't want you and your neighbor having complete opposite, opposite goals, I guess. No, because it can be bad
1: blood. Nobody
0: ever gets, you know, anywhere
1: no work with your neighbors you know hopefully you've got good neighbors that you can work with and y'all get on the same goals but you know i hear so much time especially in low fence well i need to shoot all my spikes you know need to shoot and there's a lot of research that shows this but there's i've got landowners that shoot spikes and they grow big deer and i know landowners that don't shoot spikes and they grow big deer and um so that a lot has a lot more to do with okay for this year is an example a lot of times in my opinion and I think over years I've proven, it, 90% of your spikes out there are first set of antlers. Yearling old deer. When I say yearling, I'm talking about 18-month-old eight, deer. Most of your spikes out there are yearling deer. Well, if you had a really bad drought like this year, there's a very good chance, and I've seen it, especially in South Texas, where 90% of your yearling cohort are spikes. You know, so, like, in general, you want, you know, the bottom... The left side of the bell curve to be all spikes and then half of them, you know, four point yearlings or whatever. But in drought years or in bad condition, a lot of your um, are, are skewed sex ratios for whatever reason. They're late born. The nutrition wasn't there. The dose wasn't healthy. A lot of them are spikes. Well, if you go in there and you kill every single one of them, you just took out your entire age cohort for that year. Because if you're on low-fence property and you're not on a big property, but you have a big enough property that you hold some deer, every one of your yearlings that you have out there more than likely was not born on your property. It came from your neighbor's property or downriver or upriver or across. Because like we mentioned before, those, little, those does will drive those little buck fawns away. The baby bucks that are being born on your property are going to your neighbor's and vice versa. So, you know, if you've taken, and I know the rut brings deer and animals moving on everything, but on a scale of that, you need to be thinking about that. Say you've got several hundred acres where you can, you know, you may have 10 or 15 yearling bucks that you're seeing running around, you know, and I know that you've got to fall within the laws, but if you're on MLDP property or something like that, you just something to think about, you know, what you have there, especially if you had two droughts in a row, you know, what you have there and what you're leaving because the goal is to get, Get mature deer. When I say mature deer, I'm talking at least four years or older because you're never going to see the best. And that's another thing, too, about spikes. If you let them get older, you know, they may never not be, you know, as good as a six-point or seven-point yearling that was out there. Maybe, maybe not. In my case, I don't think so. But they can become a very respectable deer. A deer that most children would love to shoot and a deer that I know a lot of people that's hunted their whole lives would love to shoot if they just got the age. So, number one, have your goals realistic. What's there? What can you produce? What are you able to produce based on all the different
0: factors? Well, you know, in our area, it seems like people are allowing deer to get more mature now.
1: And that is a big thing. And yeah, I actually, they,
0: I yes. mean, because of the, uh, like, I, I think education, you know, with the. Maybe it's the Internet. Maybe I'm not sure what. Well, it's but
1: everything. It's-, it's like what we just discussed, you know, magazines, or you heard it. But in the last 20 years, people are becoming more educated on whitetail deer and whitetail management, from, you know, wildlife management associations to state agencies to Texas trophy hunters to the game, you know, everything. You name it. People are learning, you know, and it's not just about filling the freezer as much as it used to be. So in our area, two things are happening, and I think – which kind of actually makes our rut changed a little bit while people are knows maybe the rut got moved a little bit. Um, Number one, they're allowing doe harvest more. So some of these does are being shot, which is kind of fine tuning our sex ratios a little bit better, which helps with the rut. And then also just people being educated and letting deer walk and also the antler restrictions, you know, and just people learning all those three things going on at the same time. You're starting to get more mature deer out there. And more mature deer, it's all about your age structure. The more mature deer out there, the hunt's gonna be better, you know, because they're gonna be more aggression, more fights. You'll see more, more rut type stuff. You'll see more scrapes being made. You'll even may even get lucky and see two deer, you know, two adult deer tag, you know, go up against each other. That's always fun. So, the education's a huge deal, and that that's happening
0: a lot. Um, well, and deer numbers as, are going up too. Like there's a whole lot more doe and stuff. Yeah, and just as you get more deer. Well, then there's going to be more mature deer eventually, too, I guess. Yeah,
1: especially if not everybody's out there just, you know, whacking, you know, the ones and the yearlings and the two-year-olds are getting older. So having the goals, and then, okay, so if it's not a spike, then it's okay, well, maybe, you know, shoot everything that's not a 10-point after they get three years old. Well, in my opinion, that's a mistake. And I'll just flat out say my opinion and what I think, and this is what people consider, you know, the definition of a trophy. Well, to me – the definition of trophy, I am a uh, frame guy. I am a I am a frame guy. I like big frames. The amount of bone on that deer's head is important to me. Not so much the score. A big framed, beautiful deer, you know, has really good beams, good wide mass. And so from a standpoint, and then also the shape. By the time a deer gets like three years old, so like I said, sometimes you hear people say, oh, well, if they're eight point at three years old, shoot them. That's a mistake in my opinion if it's the wrong three-year-old. And the way that you can tell is you really can kind of tell, you know, at three years old, eight points are different. Some of them are what we consider crab claws. Some of them, if you know your deer very good, you understand all deer have brow tines. You know, some people call them G1s and then you have G2s and G3s. Well, all eight points have brow tines, twos and threes. The placement of that G2 and G3 and how long they are. So say we have an eight point and he's a three-year-old and he's got really good twos. And then right beside his twos, he's got threes, you know, that come up and say they're seven, eight inches long. And both of them are about the same length. One you know, the twos are seven inches and the, and the threes are seven, six inches, you know, pretty tight. And they're close together. And then it's got a lot of beam left that comes out and wraps. You know, say there might be four or five inches where he'd like, you know, Probably could have had a four out there. He'd have been a 10-point, but he didn't do it. He was three for whatever reason. Well, very often, that deer is telling you, hey, look, I got all this room out here. I have space to grow. I may be a 10-point next year because I got all that room because he's got tight twos and threes. They're tight together. So that would be a deer, in my mind, as a three-year-old and an eight-point, I would not shoot that deer. And the reason I have it because I've seen deer firsthand, watched them, seen deer like that turn into 150-inch plus 10 points at five with trash you know even into 160. On the other hand a small framed eight point that's three years old that has two things but I either call it stair-steppy or I call it crab claw. If their threes are way out there on the end of the beams like crawfish pinchers way out there and I don't like that and generally deer that are like that have very uh, short beams. I have seen some with big frames but so out there that's kind of that Because at three years old, those deer kind of, you can start telling them from year to year, every one. So, you know, a three-year-old, you can tell him. If you study your deer herd good enough, you'll be able to recognize that deer at four. And from then on, you can tell. So a deer like that, generally I see, they may get bigger, but they keep that same frame, you know. They keep that same stair step or that uh, crawfish crab claw. And to me, that's not something that I consider good. That deer tells me he'll probably never have a four you know or not a decent four because there's no room to put it there another one what i call stair step so basically that means to me like say i, I kind of consider it half if the 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 three is out there on the beam and say you had a eight inch an eight inch g2 and then that three is out there on the beam and it's less than half like so it's two and a half or three inches long that would be one i would consider shooting as well if you need to reduce deer numbers
0: well and you wouldn't want to leave that as breeding stock either
1: Yeah, you know, but like I said, if you let that deer turn into a 6-year-old deer, you know, that deer may be a 120-something inch, 130-inch deer. I don't think those deer will ever turn into 150s, you know, whereas that 3-year-old 8-point that's tight and got those beams, he can. You know, I'm not saying I know that there's, you know, oddballs in every data set, but in general, that's what I've noticed over the years, yeah.
0: And like you said, if you're in an area where – not even possible to get that big of a deer no so don't no. sit there and hold out for that no
1: no if you're hunting an area and you're over there way out there and you got a lot of neighbors and you're maybe in bad soils don't hold out for 150 inch deer if there's not 150 inch deer within 10,000 acres of you you know so be realistic what your goals are and what what you're also capable of producing because a lot of it you can supplemental feeding. that's huge you know it's a mix of huge difference but it's not within your budget and you can't afford it or you're doing something else. And, and so we've mentioned before, good quality, healthy soils produce bigger animals, you know. So you really can't, if you're hunting the big old sand hills over there, high dry stuff, you can't really have the same goals as what somebody might be down there on the river or in the Brazos River bottom, you but, know, because they just can produce more and bigger, bigger deer. You can run more animals out there.
0: You know, you've done a lot of those like head counts and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Is, when should you and shouldn't you take doe?
1: Uh, well, you speaking. Bio- of,
0: you know, speaking of goals and stuff like that. The biologist
1: in me tells me you should shoot does. You should always maintain everything within the carrying capacity of the habitat. That's first and foremost, always within the carrying capacity of the habitat. But does are lots and lots of does. You know, if your sex ratios are really really skewed, you need to take some does. You know, if you need to knock some numbers down because you're getting too many deer, you can see it in your habitat. You're getting browse lines out there. You know, you can see that your first choice, second choice plants or your first choice are getting really hit hard. Your second choice are starting to get hard. That's telling you, your habitat speaking to you is saying, hey, hey, Chancey, hey. You need to knock some deer out here, you know. It also depends on, too, if you're running cattle in the same place, too, because cattle will browse. It depends. I I know I always say it depends, but when you should harvest does, when your numbers start getting too much, when your sex ratios get out of hand. And if your sex ratios and your habitat's good, there's probably, and you've been managing for a long set of years, and you've got a big enough place, say 500-plus acres, there's always some level of does that you probably need to take out anyway, you know.
0: Well, yeah, and, you know, you have a— uh, you know, like you said, I mean, if you're supplemental feeding those deer, too, all year. Yes. You know, you don't want They're to feed enough. no more than what you have to feed. Yes. I mean, so, it's you know, your deer season is, is the only time you have to take care of that. Yes.
1: Yeah, because, I mean, I forget what it is. um. Uh... I want to say, and I don't know, I haven't checked price, what protein, but I want to say it's like 200 and something dollars a year to feed, you know, a deer per head, something like
0: that. Oh, I bet it's every bit of yeah, that, especially now.
1: Yeah, it's something like, so that's something to think, so some places, some of those big, like, what I call them high-end places, and I'm not saying this does not fit everybody, but some of them have a level of deer. They need to take out anyway, especially does. So a lot of those places, they try to keep a young doe herd because a young doe herd just generally doesn't have the same fecundity, I guess, or basically, you know, twins are the rule, and that's true after you get about three years old. But say if most of your deer are three and younger, you have a lot of ones, you know, as well. So your herd's not growing as fast because especially this is a problem. You're trying to run and keep your herd within the carrying capacity, but you're also trying to get bucks to six or seven, eight years old, at least four so if you're having great fawn crops, 70%, 60% fawn crops every single year and you're trying to keep your herd within the carrying capacity but you're also trying to keep you, get your deer herd so you got bucks that are 4 or 5 plus, you run into a numbers game there where it's an issue. So you may have to take out some deer. And if your fawn crops are consistently that good, which is what that's what you want. A lot of those big places that are well maintained. They cannot they have to have some level of harvest every year since they've been having 70 plus percent fawn crops for the last 15 years cuz they just can't run that level of deer without some harvest or it's going to hurt the habitat. Oh, yes. That makes sense.
0: Yes, and I mean and you know, working at a high school and stuff with a bunch of young kids, if you have extra deer that you need to get rid of or something, it's never a problem, you know, finding somebody to come out who's who's, you know, who's looking for for something to hunt or or you know, meat or that type of deal.
1: Oh, yeah, you know. And so yeah, and deer make great tamales. Too. You may
0: have to quarter them up or something to get rid of them.
1: It does seem that's the case. I don't know if
0: a whole lot of people would want you to just drop a, a deer off at their house, yeah. you know, just gutted.
1: Most people will take them if they're quartered, you know, skint, quartered, and in a cooler of ice, then all they got to do is debone them. Well, you know, especially and as and high as meat's got. Yeah. it is. You know, what is beef now? $5 or something a pound. And so, you know, a, a three year old dough generally, you can probably get 37 to 40 pounds of hamburger meat off of her. Depending on how big she was, something like that. And then you got the back straps and the tenderloin. I mean, you're looking at 40 pounds of meat, you know, off of a two or three year old doe, something like that. Sure. So, I mean, that's quite thing. And, you know, people can take them and you can make deals with your buddies, you know. And if you got a buddy that his wife makes tamales or something like that, you know, give them a deer and you can get several dozen of them and they can sell the rest or whatever. You know, there's ways to get rid of them. You know, if you do have excess, you need to kill and you can't eat them all yourself. There's always somebody that'll take them. I would think even that that donate them to a church or something. Surely a church will, would take one or know a, know somebody that needs it. And you know, if it's a small community like this, you know, and everybody knows everybody, you know, the people in your community that need it, you know, sure, and, and would appreciate it. So always keep them in mind as well.
0: Yeah, and I mean, like you said, just to just to go back to you know what's important there with choosing which ones to shoot, would well, think about your goals.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's what I would say. It all depends on your goals and what the realistic of your goals. So, in general, on low fence places, I don't advise shooting bikes. You know, unless you have a particular reason to go to go with it. I definitely don't advise shooting every three-year-old eight-point. I don't, and I've got reasons to back it. So
0: absolutely, and yeah. and so I guess that's about all we have time for today.
1: Yeah, it's good getting back in touch with you, Brad. And like I said, everyone out there, thank you for listening. We do apologize for being away so far, so long.
0: Yes, maybe maybe one day, Chancy, when we retire and we're sitting out there driving around with our – With our uh, tailgate feeders and stuff, we have a little more time to talk a little more. (laughs) Yeah. I guess in the meantime, I hope everybody has a happy Thanksgiving because it is a week of Thanksgiving here. And so so hope uh, everybody enjoys your family time and and, uh, and enjoys uh, your deer season.
1: Yep. Happy Thanksgiving, y'all, and blessings to y'all.
0: Hey, it was good talking to you guys. And like I said, we look forward to being back again sometime soon. And until next time, take care.